Hello, everyone. We are John and Karen Schrader coming to you from our dining room in Woodbury. We will be reading some scripture for you this morning. Uh, we will be reading from the New International Version, starting with Romans 8, verses 5 through 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Since, then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thanks, John and Karen. It's good to see you and see you. Uh, okay, We've, it's been heavy, but we gotta, we gotta keep going because life keeps moving on. So I want you to think about what you think about. How, in fact, how often do you think about what you think about? I know you have to think about that a little bit. What do you think about what you think about? You know, we think our thoughts are neutral. Like, we just have them. But our thoughts are incredibly powerful. Consider uh, this old experiment that was done by researchers on Division I swimmers. If you know anything about swimming, I know a few things about swimming, you know that like one second is an eternity in the pool. In fact, if it's a, just a 50-yard race or a 50-meter race, one second can be the difference between first and eighth and all the people that are there. And so what they did is they took one group of swimmers and they removed the pace clock so that they couldn't see it, and they started them in their like set of 2050s, or maybe they were 12 100s, I can't remember. But they took one group of swimmers, and they had them start, and they said that they were actually one second slower than they were when they finished their lap. And then they took a different group, and they told them that they were one second faster. And what they found was kind of incredible. What they found was that the first group, when they came in and they touched the wall and they were waiting before they had to go again, they told them their time and they're like, huh? And they were a little surprised. And when they came in and they did it again and they were told they were slower again, they actually started to swim discouraged and they got slower. And the second group, when they swam, they too swam the first one and they were surprised. And then they swam the second one and they're like, oh, and there was like this new enthusiasm in their bodies. And yes, there are limits to what our bodies can do. Not everyone got faster. But for the most part, as a whole, the group swam faster. Because that's how our minds work. It's far more important what we actually focus on than what happens to us. 
Our minds work like, almost like rubber bands. If you take one rubber band and you pull it across and you, you pull, 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 it's pretty easy to break one rubber band, just like it's easy to break one little thought. But if you think a thought over and over and over, it's like adding rubber bands to your fingers. And then you try to pull 10 rubber bands, and you're going to have a very hard time breaking those. That's how our thoughts work. The more we think something, the easier it is to actually think again. Also, our brains are constantly changing and evolving. Neurologists used to think that after adolescence, our brains just kind of went into this static pattern and all the neurons stayed the same and no new stuff was added. But now they have actually found in the work of neuroplasticity, which just is a really fun word to say, neuroplasticity, and brain research, the brain is constantly and continually adapting in both structure and function to the stimuli and the experiences around us. So our brain is always doing that, which is super good news if you think good and true thoughts. But it's actually not good news if you think things that are untrue or you believe lies because your brain basically doubles down on that lie and you believe it even more. I'm super excited that Dorothy White's gonna talk more about those kind of thoughts next week, but Today, what we want to talk about is if you want the mind of Christ, then you and I need to choose. We must decide. We must determine where our focus will be. Focus won't get us all the way to our destination in this exercise regime of mental gymnastics, but it's where we must go next. We talked about choosing growth over perfection last week. Today, it's about focus, where we focus our minds. Because remember, last week we said that our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. But you can actually choose which thoughts become strong thoughts by your focus. And I think the Bible agrees with this. The scriptures that we read, and there's going to be a lot of scripture today because that's part of what we're applying to our life. Um, But the scriptures that were read agrees with this. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, Romans 8, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Letting the Spirit control our minds is an act of will. Wild animals, they have a lot of instincts. They respond, they react. There's even a little bit of instinct in my little dog Muffin, our poodle mutt. Like, she'll just be super sweet. She'll sit with our cat. They'll, like, share the dog bed in front of the fireplace. And then, like, an hour later, the cat will come walking by, and Muffin's, like, dog instinct will come up, and she'll try to attack the, other, the cat. It's crazy. We're like, Muffin! She doesn't have a strong will. But humans, we have a strong will. We can choose. We can in, like, choose to do or not do something in spite of our feelings or our instincts. We have control over it. Paul tells the Colossians, since you've been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where God sits, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So, How do we set our sights on heaven if we can't really see heaven? How do we think about things of heaven? That might sound weird, that might sound confusing, but I think the scripture that we have in Philippians tells us how to do that. 
Romans, or Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, says, And now, dear brothers and six sisters, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise. Think about these things. Keep putting them into practice, what you've learned from me or received in me. Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So the guy who writes this, Paul, he's been this church planter. He's been this apostle. He goes and starts things. He finds people. He tells them about Jesus. And he's been doing that all around the Mediterranean Rim. But the place that he wants to go, the place that he's dreamed of going, is to, you know, the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. That's a phrase because that was really true. When Rome built their roads, all roads did lead to Rome. So Paul wanted to go to Rome to stand in front of people and share the good news of Jesus. But instead, he's sitting in a Roman prison and writing to people about Jesus. We, the letter of Philippians is one of four letters where Paul writes from prison, where he's actually unjustly imprisoned and writing to people. Have you ever thought about what you'd write about if you were unjustly put in prison? I've been listening and, and following um, more of Brian Stevenson's work um, and the inner... Uh, this initiative that he works with people who've been wrongly incarcerated. And I've been thinking about this more and more of what would my attitude be if I was in prison unjustly? And Paul doesn't say like, well, pray for me because this really sucks. And he doesn't say, uh, well, you need to start a petition for me because I've been wrongfully locked up. He doesn't say like, I just can't do it anymore. I, it's too hard. Instead, he says, okay, before I close this letter, one more thing. Fix your thoughts. Focus your mind on what's true and honorable and right and pure and worthy of praise, not things that are awful, things that are lovely. I love the, how the message translation says it. Summing, out, summing it all up, friends, I'd say, You'll do your best by filling your mind and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, things that are gracious, the best and not the worst, things that are beautiful and not ugly, things that are praise, things to praise, not things to curse. So, what does that mean, fixing our thoughts and meditating on these things? Why does it, why does it matter? Well, if our, our life moves in the direction of our strongest thoughts, then, then we can't have a positive life if we have a negative mind. Our thoughts are always shaping us. Our thoughts change our brain, and consistently repeated thoughts become mindsets. So, I started reading this book by um, Dr. Carol Dweck. She's a Stanford University psychologist, and she was obsessed with understanding how people cope with failure. And she knew that humans were born with this intense drive and desire to learn. She watched little babies stretch their skills daily, and they were doing like the most difficult tasks of our lifetime, like learning to walk and talk, which to us, who are healthy, would seem like that's not a big deal. But if you've ever been 
or seen someone in a car accident or with a brain injury, those are the, some of the hardest things to get back. And babies just go and go. They, they, they try to stand up. They take a few steps. They fall down. They get back up again. They don't get obsessed with humiliating themselves or making a mistake. They don't worry that it's like what people are thinking about them or that it's too difficult or not worth the effort. They just push forward, right? But then something happened, she noticed. Something happened in children to slow or stunt their growth. It's like as soon as children were able to evaluate themselves, they became afraid of challenge. So Dr. Dweck decided to study this, and she watched young children grapple with hard problems. So she'd go into a school, she'd introduce herself, she'd make sure that they, that they could make sure she was legit. Then she would take students out of the classroom, bring them into a different classroom, make sure they were comfortable, and then give them like a group of easy puzzles to do. And then as they did the puzzles, she would have other puzzles that would be harder. And so she watched as the children toiled and struggled and in, in sweat and she observed their strategies and their self-talk, and she found something that she never expected. As the puzzles were getting harder and harder, this one 10-year-old was like, oh, I knew this was gonna be informative. <laughs> this other kid was, was sweating away and, and, and working really hard, and with this pleased expression, she goes, I love a challenge. <laughs> In one specific study, Dr. Dweck took four-year-olds and gave them an easy puzzle. And then after they did this, she gave them a choice. Do you want to redo the easy puzzle, or do you want one of these harder ones? And even at this tender age of four, two groups quickly emerged. One who wanted to stay redoing the easy puzzle, and the other, they wanted to take on the challenge. And she said it was just unbelievable. The kids who stuck with the safe ones said things like this. Well, smart kids don't do mistakes. Or, mm, I think I'm okay just where I'm at. They wanted to affirm their current abilities. They didn't want to look not smart. This group of children, she determined, believed that their human qualities of like intellect, creativity, um, intelligence, I guess it's the same as intellect, but even, even moral character, that those things were all fixed. That they couldn't develop. That you were either smart or not smart, that you were either dumb or not dumb, that you had a certain amount of intelligence, a certain amount of personality, a certain amount of character, and if it was fixed, it was card in stone, then you better prove you have enough. And so every situation called for this confirmation of their intelligence or their personality or their character. Will I succeed or fail? Will I look smart or dumb? Will I uh, be accepted or rejected? Will I feel like a winner or a loser? And this other group of students that took on the harder puzzles said things like, why are you asking me this, lady? Why would anyone want to keep doing the same puzzle over and over? Like, I'm dying to figure out these other puzzles. See, this group of students, or this group of children, she believed, um, believed that human qualities such as, again, intelligence, athleticism, creativity, character, could all be cultivated through perseverance, through dedication, and through persistence. And so that's what they thought they were doing. They thought they were growing and getting smarter. In fact, 
not only were they not discouraged by failure, they didn't actually think they were failing. They thought they were learning. See, these students, or this group of children, had what she called a growth mindset. In fact, she synthesized 20 years of research into her book, Mindset. You can check it out. And her research shows that the view you adopt about yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. Like the mindset you choose determines if you become the person that you actually think and you want to become or whether you can accomplish the things you value in life. One mindset creates a passion for learning and growth and the other mindset creates this hunger for approval. Now the reality is that none of us have all of one mindset or all of the other. We've got different areas of our life where we have the growth mindset and probably different areas of our life where we have the fixed mindset. And regardless of which mindset occupies most of your mind, you have a choice. I have a choice. I mean, mindsets are just beliefs. Now, they're powerful beliefs. They're beliefs that have been reinforced over and over, but we can change our minds. And like we said last time, if you can change your mind, you can change your life. So one of the things that I did really early in my faith journey, got away from it, came back to it, kind of started up uh, a few years ago and then started up again, is around this idea of changing your mind. It's really about training your mind. And training your mind is really just like training your body. It's really not that different. I used to not be able to run three miles. I know I look like I should be a runner and stuff like that, but I just got out of the habit, and so I wasn't running. And so we have this nice little loop by our house, so I would run three miles, except I'd have to walk once or twice or three times. And then I got better, and my legs and my lungs developed, and then I was able to finish the whole three miles, and that was great. I would do that once or twice or sometimes even three times a week. And then I met someone who's like, hey, you should start running with this group. We run over at this park, and we run five or six miles. And I would do that once a week. It was hard to do. But again, I was running a couple times during the week, three miles, and again, it, I was able to get into this groove of this. Then the pandemic happened and I couldn't do the running group and my wife's like, well, let's get up and run. Except she started running with one of our neighbors and they ran five or six miles and they would do this four or five times a week and I'm like, ugh, but guess what? I did it. And now, if it's not too cold out, I can actually just get up and even myself run six miles. I mean, if I have a couple beverages the night before and eat a couple donuts that morning, it's not gonna be pretty. I might even throw up. But why do we think our minds are any different? If you stayed with me, that's how our minds work. We can't expect to, I know it's 2020, I know it's January and we're all doing health, trying to do healthy things like go to the gym if we can stay apart. But we can't go to the gym, talk to people, grunt a lot, sweat a little, and think that we're actually going to get healthy. And the same is true with our mind. We can't think a couple good things and a whole lot of bad things and think that our minds are going to be healthy. We can't fake that. What goes into our mind will eventually come out of our mouth in our life. Jesus said something similar. In Matthew 12, he said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, if I want a strong mind, if you want a strong and healthy mind, then you have to think about what you're putting in it. 
If I want good thoughts, I can't put brain junk food in. You know, the world says, you can have your truth and I'll have mine. But Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I need to put God's truth in my mind. I don't need my truth in my mind. So what are you putting in your mind? God says to fill your mind, to meditate on things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious, believing the best about situations, believing the best about things and not the worst, finding things to praise rather than things to curse. These are the things I'm supposed to meditate on. And I don't know if meditation like bothers you or scares you. I'm, there's lots and lots of kinds of meditation. So I'm not talking about new age meditation. I'm not talking about Eastern meditation where you empty your mind and you try to connect with essential nature. I'm talking about Christian meditation, like where you think about God's truth, you fill your mind with scripture, and you try to connect with God. This is how Rick Warren says it in the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Meditation is focused thinking. It takes serious effort. You select a verse, you reflect on it over and over in your mind, but if you know how to worry, then you already know how to meditate. So any of you who are worriers, you're already professional meditators. You just got to flip it. You just got to go to what do I think about over and over? Is it the best, not the worst? Is it God's truth rather than my anxiety? I mean, flip, uh, Psalm 1 says it this way. Blessed is the person or the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law or the instruction of God, meditating on his law day and night. So I'm going to run through a few scriptures right now um, that we're not going to spend a lot of time on because we're almost done, but also because your action step is to think about scripture this week. So I'm going to give you a few for you to think about. So how about Psalm 77, 12? I consider your works, God, and meditate on all your mighty deeds. I think about who God is. I think about what he's done. I think about his law. I go over those things. And you might go, well, those are just the Old Testament. Does Jesus actually say anything about this meditation thing? No, he doesn't. I couldn't find anything that he directly talks about it. But I know when he was confronted by the devil in the desert, that every time the devil tried to tempt him, he responded with, it is written. Jesus had God's word in his mind, in his heart. He had memorized it and it came and flowed out of him at all times. So what are we doing? We're training our minds to focus. Now, 2020, even though it's 2021, like 2020 has done a number on our focus. Like, let's be honest, it's plummeted. So we might have to start small. But we can train our minds towards God's truth. We can meditate on who he is. We can meditate on what he's done. We can meditate on how he's the goodness that he has given us, the good things that he embodies. We can think about his works. And when we do, guess what? We usually find what we're looking for. Like, have you ever gotten a new car or a new-to-you car? After you start driving it for a week, what do you notice? Every other stinking white SUV that's on the road if you bought a white SUV. Every other red sedan if you bought a red sedan. Because we are thinking about it, we are focused on it, we're starting to search for it. So, here's your, here's your test. Like, try to find, because 
We just finished deer season. It's winter. There's still roadkill. Try to find hummingbirds next to roadkill. I've actually never found this. Even if I'm walking and I have to like spend an extended amount of time next to a dead carcass on the side of the road, never seen a hummingbird next to it. I've seen buzzards, I've seen crows, I've even seen the occasional vulture next to roadkill, but never hummingbirds. Because hummingbirds look for sweet things. They go after the nectar of flowers. They're not looking for dead animals. Vultures are circling around looking for dead things. Hummingbirds are flying around looking for sweet things. Which one are you? Which one am I? So, Proverbs eleven twenty seven says, If you search for the good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. Again, our thoughts are not neutral, but we can choose. If you want to look for what's wrong, if you want to look for the negative, you're going to find it, and you're going to be miserable. But if you search for what's good, what's positive, the opportunities, the hope, you can usually find it. This isn't like saying we're going to put rose-colored glasses on, not stare at hard things. We talked about hard things this morning. We've got to confront hard things. But it's saying, where do I ultimately fix my eyes? And Hebrews tells us we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who starts and finishes our faith. In fact, it's Jesus who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It's Jesus for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. When I think about the things I can't do or I think about picking up my cross and following him daily, I think about Jesus. I think about the fact that I don't need to have all the strength. I don't need to have all the willpower. Jesus did this, and he calls me to put my trust in him. He calls you to put your trust in him and to let the Holy Spirit speak through you, live through you, be strong through you, that you don't do this on your own. I don't do this on my own because most of life's battles are won or lost right here. I want to move my thoughts to God because those will be strong thoughts. So as we wrap up, what's the first thing you think about in the morning? If we're going to change our thoughts, we might have to change our habits. So like when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you grab? Do you check your text messages? Do you go on TikTok? Do you go to social media? Do you read or watch the news? Do you jump on YouTube or like binge on a Netflix show for a while? Or could you start your day with pause and prayer? Could you open up God's word? Again, you don't have to do it in the morning, but often what the first thing we do in the morning sets our tone for the day. And I've been doing this thing on version, which is a Bible app. It's called the Bible app. And it's called Stories. And you open it up, and on the homepage, it's got Open Story. And you open the story, and it says, like, uh, a centering thought for that moment. Um, it has this thought for you to pause and, pr- like, prepare your mind to then hear God's word. Then it gives you a verse of the day. So then I read the verse of the day. Then it gives a two- or three-minute commentary from someone, lots of different people, but one a day, on that verse. And then it gives a prayer for me to set, my, set that truth in my mind for the day. I've been doing this all last year and since this year, and I never have to worry about, like, oh, what's my devotion right now, or, or what am I studying, or who am I studying with? This is just this constant peace that's in my life, in my mind, and has made a huge difference in my attitude. So 
How are you starting your day? What do you need to change? God wants to be part of it. So where do you need to fix your focus? Will you pray with me? Uh, God, I thank you for your word, for uh, just how practical it is. We can, we can read and digest a lot of stories. We can, we can look and parse out through a lot of verses. We can logically wonder about stuff. We can analyze things. But sometimes we need to just read a verse, and then we just need to ponder how we can apply it to our life. And God, this is just so practical for us to fix our thoughts, for us to meditate on things that are true and right and pure and noble and lovely. God, when I'm thinking about those things, I can't think about what I'm frustrated about. I can't think about a person that I'm mad at or that I disagree with or, or how messed up our world is. I, I have to ultimately turn my mind towards you because you are the one who starts and finishes our faith. You are the one that completed the and fulfilled the law, the one who brings us back into relationship, Jesus, with our creator. And God, we pray for those who are far from you, God, those that think that you're not for them, those who wonder if you're doing any good in the world, those who are, are frustrated with how divided we are in the world. God, help us to look to you. You are the one who finishes it all. You are the one, God, in the face of of shame and scorn and ridicule endured the cross. You are the one that makes a way, God, and you just didn't make a way for humanity. You made a way for me. You made a way for each person listening. God, I pray today that we would humble ourselves. I pray today that we would come to you and we could say, I can't do it on my own. I can't think good thoughts all the time on my own. I need to have your mind, Jesus, I've been believing this lie for too long, God. I need to bring it to you. I need to put this scripture in my mind. I need to put this truth in my heart. I need to live in your power and your peace. God, and you, you give me the opportunity to do that. I thank you that you give each one of us the opportunity to do that. Lord, forgive me of my own sin for the ways in which I try to think and live on my own. God, I surrender my mind. I submit my mind to you. God, I offer myself to help me to live as your child, as your friend, as your follower. By your spirit, heal me.